Hello, this is Saul Gonzalez, lead pastor of Lifehouse Church, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you so very much for joining us today. I believe that through this message, God will encourage you, challenge you, and better yet, change you for the glory of God and for the purposes God has called you. Enjoy this message. So I've entitled this The Gratitude Shift. Gratitude shares the good news. Gratitude shares. Uh, gratitude is generous, if you will. Gener- gratitude, genu- can, uh, the expression of gratitude is, is one of generosity, of giving, of sharing, of serving as a way to express its, its gratitude. Um, I wanted to um, start with a couple of bewares that are in scripture, a couple of bewares uh, from the story last week. Uh, we read uh, or we saw the story and we're going to go to Second Kings again. The four lepers that are at the gate. And last week we focused on the city that was, that was besieged. Samaria was besieged uh, by the Aramean, Aramean army. And they're surrounded. Um, and th- there's famine. Uh, there's uh, infanticide that begins to take place in the city, in the city. And I want to just remind every adult here, every father, every parent, every grandparent that it's not intentional, but something happens that we begin to live for ourselves. We begin to live selfishly. We begin to uh, live a lifestyle that leaves no provision, very little preparation for the generation to come. And the spiritual, uh, beware of spiritual infanticide. Uh, That's the, the tragic truth that tends to happen or that a current generation, the truth that the current generation tends to consume and cannibalize the next generation. It's not intentional, but very few people have enough foresight to prepare the ground, uh, the the, the way for our children uh, to not just have more provisions. And I'm not just talking about education and I'm not talking about just inheritance. That's part of it. But but spiritual inheritance, a spiritual legacy. Um, They probably our children may have not very uh, they they, maybe it's infrequent that they find us praying. Maybe our children don't see or sense that we weep in the presence of God. Maybe our children have not found you uh, reading the Bible at home or having a family altar. And I'm telling you that in the long run, uh, that is selfish living where most of the time we're consuming uh, other uh, forms of entertainment, television and, and all kinds of entertainment when we're home. And that home is not a family altar. That home is not a place where our children sense God's presence, they might sense the opposite of God's presence. They might feel other presence and and anger and dissension and hatred and tension. And I'm telling you that that will bring consequences uh, to our families in the long run. And so I want all of us to have a spiritual awareness of spiritual infanticide, the tragic truth that the current generation tends uh, to consume and cannibalize the next generation. In the story of these four lepers that are at the gate, I I want you to see with me the spiritual truth that that these lepers were the object, but also the hope of a prophetic word. It's really powerful if you think that the city is surrounded, the city is dying, it's on the verge, on the knife's edge of collapsing, the social mores are collapsed, Uh, there is cannibalism in the camp, uh, a woman cries out to the, to, to the king and says, help or save us, O king. And so he's thinking that she wants food, provisions. He says, if God cannot save you, what can I do? There's nothing in the storage rooms. There's nothing left there. She goes, I'm not asking for food. I'm asking for justice. And she shares her story that two uh, women with two children got together. The hunger was so severe 
that they decided, they, they made a, a covenant, a pact, if you will, we'll eat mine, we'll, 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 we'll cook mine and eat mine, and then we'll eat yours. And now she's disappeared. We, we cooked and we ate my child, and now I'm looking because uh, she broke the bargain, and the king was so distraught that, that on the outside he had royal garments, but on the inside he had sackcloth and ashes, and he ripped and he wrenches his clothing, his royal garbs, and, and, and people could see uh, in the wall of the city uh, that he had underneath the royal garments, underneath the projection, like most of us are really good at projecting, at, at basically uh, um, uh, promoting a different person. Um, when, when you are in public, when you are in church, most of the times we let people see what's on the outside. But the truth is that many a family, many a parent, many a father, mothers are struggling and on the inside they are mourning. They are broken. Uh, the, there's, there's, uh, there is tension. There is brokenness. There is anger. There is bitterness uh, in, in, as part of that person's heart and life. Um, there is anger and bitterness toward people. The pain of rejection is still real. Um, and underneath our social uh, displays and our projection, there is something bad going on. And that's what happens. And that's what was going on with the king. But these lepers become the object um, and they become the hope of a prophetic word. Watch the word that, that God speaks to them because you and I are also the object. Uh, there's the word that God, that God has prophesied, the word of God that you know the word of God, that God has called you to be the head and not the tail. Uh, that God has called you to be blessed uh, and that his blessings will lead you to the kinds of blessings where you can enjoy peace um, and that surpasses all understanding. That was one of his promises, that God has promised to, to be inside of you, that live and dwell, that greater is the presence of God, the person of Jesus that is inside sustaining and holding you than all the forces of the devil on the outside. See, part of your legacy, part of your prophetic word is that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. No weapon against your family, against your children, against your marriage. There, that there is no, no, uh, 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 there is no curse that, that, can, uh, that can be effective against the life of a believer. Uh, there is no curse. There is no witch. There is no sorcery that can be effective toward a believer because greater is he that is in me than all the forces that are outside of this world. Because no weapon formed against me shall prosper, uh, but I will, I've been given the authority to condemn every curse that comes against me. Uh, you can condemn every curse that comes against you. That is the heritage. That is the right of the children and the servants of God. When you know the word of God, you have a shield. Uh, you have strength. You have promises. Uh, you are the object and you are the hope of a prophetic word that God said you will rise up. Uh, uh, you will be the head and not the tail. And this is really, really important. And, and I want to just have you see what, what the word was for them. Um, and it, Elijah, the prophet, says, listen to the message from the Lord. Listen to what God is saying. This is what the Lord says by this time tomorrow, by this time tomorrow. Now, they had been under siege for about two and a half years, according to historians, almost three years. The city was about on the brink of collapse, on the knife's edge, everything, all the mores, all the social order was collapsing. And the king knew he was in trouble to the degree where he begins to, to have his own personal mourning and uh, 
And he understands that he could not hang in there for much longer to the degree that he says that, that uh, God, as God lives, I'm going to have Elisha's head. I'm going to go cut his head. As a matter of fact, for those of you that read the, the story right before this, this chapter, there was already a messenger to go get uh, Elisha because it was the king's intention to cut off the head of the prophet. Because when you struggle, when a lot of us struggle, we tend to look for scapegoats. We, we look like, who, do, who can I blame? Who can I blame for my lifestyle, for my disaster, for my pain, my hurt, my poverty, my misery? And a lot of times we, we, we blame God like the, the king did. And he says, why shall we wait on the Lord anymore? We, that was last week. Why shall we wait on God? Uh, this evil comes from God. The truth of the matter is that most of the time you and I are responsible for the predicaments that we find ourselves. Uh, it is the seed that you've sown. It is, it is what you've spoken to the wind and now you're reaping a whirlwind, the prophet says. Uh, it is, it is uh, the, the fruit uh, of all the kinds of, of, of negative um, um, and uh, irresponsible things that you've declared and things that you've done that have now have come to haunt you and to bring about conviction or the reality that your, your current reality is not where God wants you to be. And so watch what he says. Listen to the message of the Lord. Listen to what the Lord says. He says, by this time tomorrow. In other words, in 24 hours, in 24 hours, there is going to be provisions. Uh, there is going to be food at the gate of, of Samaria. In the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. If you remember last week, uh, 80 pieces of silver for a head of a donkey. I'm not calling anyone any names here this morning. But 80 pieces of silver. Um, and five pieces of silver uh, for, for manure of, of a dove. Now just one piece of silver will get you flour. Six quarts of flour. Uh, 12 quarts of barley uh, will cost one piece of silver is what he's saying. In 24 hours. That was the, the prophetic word. So these lepers, unbeknownst to them, they are the object. And they are the hope of a prophetic word. And they don't even know it. That God was counting on them. That God knew their instinct. That God was going to give them wisdom or the wherewithal. As they went, uh, there was going to be a, a, a gratitude. There was going to be their life. As they walked, they began a shift their life. Their mindset toward a gratitude shift is what I've entitled this message. Um, beware, another beware, that the prophetic word that God speaks to your life, that what God has spoken over your life is also under assault. Um, there's a skeptical and a costly rebuke that comes from what God says to this, uh, to this what God says to the, the king and to the people. I, I want to say again, that what God has prof prophesied with the prophetic word and at this, in this case was also the object um, and of a skeptical and costly rebuke. Uh, the Bible says that a prince on whose arm the king leaned on, uh, one of his major columns, if you will, one of his major uh, uh, supporters, answered the man of God, said to Elijah, um, if the Lord now made windows in heaven, would this be so? There's another version that says, even if God opened the windows of heaven, this can never be so. Uh, there cannot be provisions. He was instilling fear, instilling a negative word. Uh, doubt is the enemy of faith. Doubt is the enemy of faith. And, um, and Elisha understood that this was a, a, a critical moment that he had just spoken a word. His head was literally on the line. Uh, and, and he was now speaking a word that he received from God tomorrow in 24 hours. 
There will be plenty of food that is going to be almost free at the gate of Samaria. In the markets, it's going to be almost free. And this prince, this servant, this, this leader, if you will, this official from the king's court uh, was so baffled that in his mind, he cannot conceive. There is no, there is no place uh, where uh, there is no place for the supernatural in his mind. And then he gives a counter word, a counter word that this cannot be. Even if, if the heavens of uh, the windows of heaven open, how could this be? And so uh, the prophet had to take care of that immediately. And I want another beware, everybody. Just just beware of the destructive power of anti-faith. I want to say this again. Beware of the destructive power of anti-faith and negative confessions. The, the price is incalculable. Uh, it is incalculable, the kind of destructive power, the, 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 the brokenness that follows anti-faith or a negative confession of what God has already declared. So the, the, the prophet says to this, to this prince, he's a prince, he's an official in the king's court, and he says, you will see it with your own eyes. You will see the word of God come to fruition. You will see it with your own eyes, but you will not taste it. You will not enjoy it. You will see it in other people. You will see other people prosper. You will see other people be used. You will see other people uh, get promoted in your, in your sphere of influence. You will see other people. Like when, when God is saying something, I want to encourage you, even if it's a tough word, even if it's like, whoa, believe it, receive the word of God. When God says something in scripture, when the Holy Spirit speaks something to your life about, about what God is about to do, uh, openness and, and new heights and promotions and enlargement. And when God prompts you to start a life group, when God says join a life group, when God says get ready to get baptized, if you have not been baptized, uh, like go and sign up. Don't allow the doubt or the enemy to stop you and say, you're not worthy. Let me tell you something. Nobody's worthy if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. Uh, don't allow a negative confession, a negative word, something that comes against you or that the enemy is trying to undermine you because you'll see what God spoke, um, what God is saying. You'll see it come to fruition uh, in other people's lives. And that's what he says. You'll see others enjoy it. You'll see it with your own eyes but you will not enjoy it. You will not be able to taste from it. What I wanted to share here is that the gratitude shift begins with, with acknowledging that, that Jesus declares that according to your faith, according to your faith, uh, it shall be done. So let it be done according to your faith. There is positive faith that aligns itself with God's word. And then there is anti-faith that comes against God's word. Um, Proverbs 18 says that from the fruit of his mouth, a man's belly shall be filled. In other words, that, that if you use wisdom and you know how to speak well and you are humble or you are well-spoken, that, that from your fruit of your mouth, how you talk to people, what you declare uh, in, the, in the spiritual um, dimension, uh, you, there will be a return and you will have your belly or your sustenance. It will be provision. And he says, and with the harvest of his lips... Uh, he is satisfied or a person shall be has from the harvest. Just think of the imagery of the metaphors that the, that Solomon is using here, that from the fruit of, of his mouth, a person's belly shall be filled. And from the harvest of his lips, he shall be satisfied. Why? Because life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You can encourage somebody or discourage them. You can lift them or you can knock them down. Uh, you can speak life or you can speak death to somebody. You can be very uh, affirming, like have 
uh, affirmations, word of affirmations for your wife, gentlemen, and just just reminder how special, how how you want to honor her, what a, what a gift she is. Or you can be just silent. Even silence uh, speaks sometimes loudly, and and says things that our wives are wanting to us to, to remind them that we love them because life and death, the way you speak to your children. So I know some of our children are out there and maybe on the on the on the hedges. And, and maybe on the edge of not living right with God, uh, I want to I wanna dare you to just speak blessings. I want you to call them into the kingdom. I want you to declare that they shall be servants of the living God. It doesn't matter how far they're gone, what kind of lifestyle they're living. Uh, the Bible declares, the Bible declares that if, if you just speak the word or if you raise a child in the way he should go, sooner or later, that person is going to go back to, to your standard, to your gospel, to your God. Uh, even Thomas, which was a doubter, when he saw the, the nail-scarred hands of Jesus and he saw his wound, he called him my Lord and my God. Yeah. My Lord and my God. And I want to encourage you to, to be aware that there's life and death in the power of the tongue. Um, of those who hear from God, God's word, and they stutter step and stumble in doubt and unbelief. So don't be that person. Um, they shall see God's word come to fruition in the lives of others, but not their own. They shall see God's word come to fruition. Um, there's probably, for those of us that were raised in church and, 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 and know maybe a lot of gospel, and, and then you see God bless and prosper others. And sometimes we get jealous of somebody that is prospering, somebody that God is using. Uh, it, it could be, and I would venture to say that a lot of times it's because you, in your heart there's been unbelief. In your heart there's been skepticism and you stumble in doubt uh, and unbelief. And you see God's fruition. You see God's word coming to fruition in the lives of others. I want to, real quickly, I want to share four lessons from four lepers this morning. And the first lesson that I want you to see here is that they were collectively resilient and resourceful. Collectively. The reason I use collectively is because they came together like a band of brothers. Uh, they talked to each other. They encouraged each other. Believe me, not one leper by themselves would have been able to have or muster the courage uh, and the wherewithal, the withedness, the wisdom, and the wit uh, to say, to draw the conclusions that they did that I'm going to talk. But they were resilient. Uh, they were collectively resilient. So what team are you part of? Who's your team in your home? Um, how close are you to your family, to your kids, to your wife, your husband? And do you guys, are you guys a team? Are you a collective? Um, now watch what, what happens here. Uh, now there were four uh, uh, men with leprosy at the entrance of the city. And they said to each other, they said to each other, why are we sitting here until we die? That's the question uh, that prompted action, is that they asked the why. Why are we sitting here until we die? Uh, look at their deductive reasoning, their, their, their resiliency, if you will, where they, they, they develop resources or they muster the courage, the umph uh, to say, let's shift, let's move. Uh, they asked themselves if uh, we will die if we stay here. That's a fact if we stay here. Uh, but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we can't go back there and we can't stay here. So we might as well go out. We might as well go and face the Aramean army. We might as well uh, go and, and face, go counterintuitive, do what's not natural, do what's against most of us. It's like when, when the times are tough, most of us have the instinct to, to hunker down. To, to just kind of uh, call it peace, to, to not move. And they knew that the opposite, that's the opposite. They said, let us go and let us face, um, uh, go out and face the Aramean army. If they let us live, 
it's going to be better. I mean, if they let us live so much better. But if they kill us, uh, we would have died anyway. We would have died anyway. That's their um, process of rational. That's their deductive reasoning process is that they were able um, they um, they were resilient. Uh, they were uh, resilient together. They were they formed a team. Um, uh, they were able to draw resources, which really was the courage to do something about where they were and why we are sitting here. The second lesson I want you to just draw here is that they were able to draw the right conclusions and move in the right direction. This is so incredibly important that through this deductive reasoning, through your spiritual uh, cadence that you're doing, um, your filters that you're allowing, hopefully God is speaking to you. Hopefully the Holy Spirit is in is, is you're open, your heart, your mind to the word of God. You're seeing the circumstances and God can speak to you by his word, by his uh, spirit, uh, to your spirit. God speaks to you through circumstances, through others that God has put around you that are, have wise counsel, uh, that, that are spiritually mature. God can speak to you through a, through a pulpit, through a, a moment like this. But I pray, I pray, I pray that you have the wisdom, that you have the spiritual wit uh, the withitness, the inside, the, the perspicuity, the withitness, uh, and the wherewithal to draw the right conclusions and then make the right decisions. Uh, walk in the right direction. Why? Because I want to say this almost literally, your life depends on it. The wealth and, uh, and well-being of your home, of your marriage, of the future that God has for you depends on your ability to be able to filter and receive God's word um, and, and basically um, um, swath out those things that are not for you and to be able to, to receive uh, and discard those things that are not for you and receive and, and incarnate, if you will, the ones that God has for you. They were able to write, draw the right conclusions and move in the right direction. It, that is everything in scripture. We see people in scripture, by the way, that were not able to draw the right conclusions. Uh, watch what, I, what they did. They basically begin with the question, why? Everybody should ask yourself, why? Um, just, just why? Why are you even here? Why are you on God's green earth? Why? For God's praise, for God's glory. So you could just start, why? The second question that they ask, why are we sitting? So are, are you sitting instead of moving? Are you, are, are you just taking a, a perpetual time out and you're no longer growing? You're not in school, you're not in college, you're not being promoted, you're just sitting. You've taken a posture of neutrality that, that you're gonna wait for something to come to you, you're gonna wait for God to bless you, you're just gonna sit, you're gonna sit. And so they ask themselves why, why are we sitting? And then I love them, why are we sitting here? So why are you sitting wherever you're at, where would that stance? And, and are you, have you decided that that's where you wanna die? Because why are we sitting here until we die? Uh, that's the, the rationale process. That's what they ask themselves. Um, and uh, the Bible says that, at, uh, so at the twilight, at the twilight, um, they set out to the camp of the Arameans. At the twilight. The twilight is at, at, at dusk, at, at the end of the day. And God spoke to my heart for a lot of our friends here that I don't know how many of you are 40 years or up. Or how many of us here are 50 or more? How many here are 60 and higher? How many, I would say 50, 60, 70 is at the twilight of our life. And there's a tendency that when we reach there, we say, we're done. I, I did everything I was supposed to do. I don't have any more in me. And I want to tell you that when Christ, when you are in Christ, 
Even at the twilight, it's never too late to do something for God. You're never too old. You're never too wasted. You're never too emaciated. You're never too done for. Uh, I'm telling you, they did. Now, it didn't make sense. It was counterintuitive. What you impend, you impend a great uh, or a journey, if you will, in the morning. They could have said, let's sleep here. Uh, let's rest. And in the morning, we'll take off. We'll, we'll walk toward the enemy's camp. Uh, but they were the object and they were the hope of a prophetic word. And that prophetic word had 24 hours. Tick, 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 tick. 24 hours. God already said it. Uh, by this time tomorrow, there's going to be so much food and abundance and provision that it's going to be almost for free. And so something was working. There was the power of God's prophetic word was, was, was just uh, moving them. Why? Why are we sitting why are we sitting? Why are we sitting here until we die? So at the twilight, they set out toward the camp uh, of the Arameans. I want to have everyone ask yourself the who question. Like, who are you? The identity question. Like, we have this conversation in our leadership meeting. Is every church, every institution, every family, every person needs to have identity, a soul, what we call a soul. What is your soul? What is your identity? Who am I? Who am I? And then your next question is, what, what, were you, what were you, what am I created to be and then do? You first have to be before you do. Somebody says, Pastor, I want to fly. Well, you better work on being a pilot. Okay? Be a pilot, then you can fly. Uh, so you ha first have to focus on being. What has God called you to be? Uh, what are your gifts? Uh, what are your passions? So, quien eres? Quien eres? Quien eres? Quien eres? That's Hebrew for who are you? Yeah. Quien eres? So who are you? And so I hope you identify yourself. Well, I'm a child of God. I'm God's son. I'm God's daughter. Um, I am born again. Yeah, I am born again. So what were you created to do? Where are your passions? Where are your gifts? Where are your right now your felt needs? Because that's going to be pretty much in keeping. So where are you going? Can you answer that? Like, like with a family, like what's your next trajectory? What's your next goal? Where are you going? A lot of us just like spinning. We're just like, like spinning and going in circles and there is no why, there is no who, there is no where are you going. Um, and then if you have a direction, you know what pastor God's want us to, I'm gonna start a business, I'm gonna go back to school, I'm gonna get my degree. So where? The question is how? How are you gonna get there? Have you sat down with a counselor, with somebody, with a spiritual person? Have you counted the cost of, of how do you get there? And then this is a great question. Who's coming with you? So who's going with you? There are people right here that you have a calling on your life. You should be leading a life group of youth or young men or young adults or couples. Um, you should be just saying yes to God and as, a, as an expression of gratitude. And so who's coming with you? I hope your family is going with you. I hope that when your kids grow, they choose to serve God. Um, uh, so the Bible says, so at twilight, at, twi at, twi at twilight, they set out because it's never too late to get moving. Um, the only um, thing worse than not moving is moving in the wrong direction um, and in the, with the wrong spirit and for the wrong reasons. That's the only thing that's worse than not moving is like when you move in the wrong or the opposite direction and you're hurt in your spirit uh, and you have the wrong motivation. Um, Thirdly, they were able to fall under divine conviction and willing to act immediately. Finally, they said to each other, after they go and they hoard, they find the camp, they, they go to the camp, nobody's there. 
God had made their steps, by the way, their steps. God had put a microphone, an amplifier. And as they walked, what the armies, the Armenian, uh, uh, Armenian army, what they heard was uh, soldiers, chariots, and horses. They concluded, you know what? The king of Israel has, or has, of Samaria has hired the Hittites uh, to come against us. And they all left them and they abandoned everything, their food, their donkeys, their horses, um, their gold, their silver. And when these four lepers walked toward the camp, uh, counterintuitive, they, they walked. We're, we're gonna face our enemy. We're gonna face the unknown. I don't know what's over there. I don't know what the future holds, but I know what was gonna happen if I sit here. If you just sit where you are, you're gonna die. Uh, if you go back to where God brought you from, you're gonna die. The only choice we have is to move forward collectively. It's, it's to meet, go forward. Let's, let's, let's face the enemy. Let's go head on. Let's see what God has around the bend for you, for your family, for your church, for your job, for your uh, business, the business that is in your loins, if you will, that God has already given you by way of spiritual conception. They say, finally, they said to each other, this is not right. So I want you to ask yourself, what is not right about your life right now? What, what, where is there waste? Where in your lifestyle there's no room for God or very room for God? And what is it that you know in your heart it's not right? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's you hold grudges. Maybe there's anger still and you know it's not right. Maybe you've struggled in forgiving somebody. The Holy Spirit right now, you're falling under conviction and you say that's not right. This is not right. Maybe God has blessed you upon blessing, upon blessing, but you've not found a way to express it because you've got all kinds of filters, all kinds of excuses already built in. And you know, somebody hurt you, somebody did you wrong, and maybe the church did. And I and I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness. I never want this church or myself to be uh, even an excuse, legitimate or not, for anyone to just stop short of what God's calling is for your life. I pray. I pray. I pray. That the church is not a reason. The church is not an excuse. Churches are, are fallible. We're fallible. Pastors, we're very fallible. But please don't use the church. Don't use a pastor's weaknesses as, as, um, uh, as material, as, uh, as an excuse, as, as a scapegoat for inaction and spiritual inactivity, uh, for spiritual withdrawing and for, for not responding to when God brings conviction. This is not right, they say. This day is a day of good news and we, are, uh, we aren't sharing it with anyone. Like I'm idle. Um, the gratitude shift, the gratitude shift. I pray, watch, watch how they begin to shift because they fall under conviction. And they say, if we wait until morning, remember, they're the object of a prophetic word. They're the hope of a prophetic word. Tick, 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 tick. So are you and so is this church. There are people that maybe in 24 hours are not going to be with us anymore. Maybe in a week, maybe two months. Um, it's the nature of, of this ministry, the nature of, of my um, calling is I've done so many funerals this last two or three years, so many funerals. Um, there's another one right around the bend, a good pastor, a pastor at a church, a great church in Lamont. will be celebrating his funeral. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that there's a, there's a time limit None of us are eternal. I pray, I pray that you're still able to fall under conviction. That when God is saying something, that you, you can hear it, it's keenly in your heart. You, it just shakes you up. That you're still somebody that in your home, you can still bend a knee right by your bed or go to the next room. I pray that you're still able to go and pray in the living room. I pray that when your kids 
bust you doing something, they bust you reading the word. That they find you crying. Many the last lesson of a gratitude shift. Gratitude shift is that they were able to demonstrate. They demonstrated the light, the God-like capacity to love. I can tell you that I didn't have it. When God called me to the ministry, I didn't love people. I didn't like most people. Um, and that's the truth. Maybe because I didn't like myself. I was compromised. I mean, I grew up in church and I'm not talking about just, you know, adultery. And I thank God, you know, I, I never drank and still this day. Just, just, it was a different kind of compromise. I was proud and, and arrogant and rude and selfish. I was mean to my siblings, my younger siblings. I was just, you know, just indifferent, just indifferent. And I can tell you that God does miracles because when God called me to the ministry, I said no over and over until I could no longer say no. And I was weeping in an in a overflow in a church. Just, and, I, and I said, God, you can't call me to the ministry because I don't love people. And so just, I just felt God say, well, you just say yes first. I'll take care of, of, I'll take care of the second thing. You just say yes first. So I said yes to God. And then I don't know what happened. I tell people, I don't know. It changed my heart. I began to love people. I love some of you that are unlovable. You're unlivable. They demonstrated the God-like capacity to love and care for others. Would you bow your heads? Thank you so very much for joining us today on the LifeHouse podcast. I pray and hope this message has encouraged, inspired, and challenged you to grow closer to God. If you would like to be a part of what God is doing here at LifeHouse, visit our website at LifeHouseChurch.com. That's LifeHouseChurch.com for more information or consider subscribing and share it with one of your friends and family. Thank you again for being part of our journey, your journey, that will lead you to know God better, grow together, and go serve and make a difference. Thank you again. God bless you. See you next time.